Du lyssnar på en podcast från Expressen. Fler poddar hittar du på expressen.se-podcast och på iTunes. Hallå allesammans, dags för en ny podcast den här gången från New York. Jag sitter faktiskt i NHLs fina flaggskeppsbutik på sjätte in på Manhattan i en tv-studio som finns här tillsammans med en gammal vän till mig som heter EJ Raddick som eh, journalistkollega helt enkelt som vi har varit bekanta med i många år. Så det blir en liten utmaning den här podcasten, den kommer nämligen bli på engelska. Hela podcasten på engelska med en amerikansk kollega för att få hans tankar kring NHL och svenskar spelar i NHL och mycket annat spännande. Jag tror att det här kommer bli väldigt kul och spännande att lyssna på. En liten utmaning för det kanske när det blir på engelska men jag hoppas att ni alla kommer tycka att det är spännande. Okay, that was my Swedish introduction. Did I sound like the chef you, in the Muppet you, Show? You, uh, you speak uh, a exquisite Swedish. <laughs> yes. Not that I would know, no. but it sounded good. It sounded it like sounded a... like you knew really what you were doing. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just, uh, I'm in awe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you very much. I thought you were going to laugh at me and say that I sound like the chef in the, in the Muppet <laughs> Show. <laughs> no, 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 no. You were far more distinguished than Sounds that. Sounds good. There Sounds you go. Good. Uh, we're going to let you introduce yourself a little bit first. Okay. I mean, I told them they're in the the beginning that you and I we've known each other since I mean it's a 15 long time years now, ago, yeah something yeah. like that and nowadays you work for the NHL yeah tell yeah tell well them. now I work for the NHL network and for the NHL we do a uh, television show called NHL live Monday through Friday 5 uh, p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern time uh, really 10 months of the year, 10 and a half months of the year, previewing NHL games, going over what went on the night before, interviewing players, coaches, media. And uh, it's during the season when we're playing into the playoffs, it's really more of a pregame in a lot of ways, looking ahead to what's coming up. So I'm doing that. Uh, people all over the globe can see me doing uh, preview work on NHL.com. We have a couple of those things that we do now, doing more of that. Uh, so you get to see my lovely uh, face, uh, if you wish, <laughs> on NHL.com. Uh, prior to that, I worked for uh, ESPN, the magazine, slash ESPN.com, slash ESPN Television <laughs> for uh, 13 years. Uh, I was there when they launched ESPN, the magazine, in 1998. And uh, so I was there for many, many years. And then prior to that, uh, bounced around in a couple of different uh, media roles. And I also mixed in two years as a pro scout for the Dallas Stars. So that was a real interesting time for me. So it's been uh, a lot of hockey for yeah. a long time, but it's been a lot of fun, and uh, it's been great to uh, to be able to build a life doing something you love yeah. and to meet a lot of great people like yourself. Yeah, so thank I'm you glad to see you again. Yeah. And hockey is the greatest sport in the world, no, no question about it, right? Yes, of yeah. course it is. <laughs> of course it is. I mean, there's listen, there's a lot of great sports, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, everybody follows. Usually people don't follow just one sport anyway. They follow a number of sports. But hockey is one of these things. I think it gets in your blood. And when it does, it does. And I've seen it. It's been the case with me. And I've seen it be the case with many, many others. So uh, I love it. I'm very, very lucky to have uh, been able to uh, create a a way to support myself. Yeah. 
over the years and my family doing something that I really love. So uh, it's a blessing. I really agree on that. And we're not going to talk too much about how our business has changed because it really has. Yeah. But but uh, I mean, you and I. I mean, I started doing my first stories on a typewriter. Even that's yeah. I remember yeah. that. I remember that myself. <laughs> that's a long time ago. Oh yeah, it is. It is. So times have really changed. Uh, a funny thing though, I, I I just have to mention. I think it was. Our colleague Chris Jones, who works for Esquire magazine, among other uh, publishers, he's a Canadian, by the way, a very good writer. He, he once said when somebody criticized him that you never play the game, uh, which is something that comes up sometimes. Oh, yeah, and for he sure. said, Well, who are you? You never wrote the game. That's true. Very well said. <laughs> exactly. Very well said. I mean, you know, people talk about that kind of stuff. When I did the pro scouting, mm -hmm. you know, you go into that business and uh, it's mostly ex players and ex-coaches or somebody's brother or somebody's mm -hmm. roommate. Uh, so, uh, you know, you, you, I had to, as someone who never played in the National Hockey League, or professionally for that mm -hmm. matter, I played a lot of hockey, I still play hockey, but I never played professionally. But the idea, the art of scouting is different yeah, than yeah. playing. And you have to be able to see something and then translate it into words in some form most of the time on a, on a computer screen. So you mm -hmm. send out those reports. You're able to articulate what you see. And so each of these things is different. And just because you didn't play doesn't mean you can't scout, you can't coach. I don't remember Scotty Bowman having a long playing career. No, his playing career was not that Yeah, and that was cut short by, <laughs> by an injury. But the bottom line was he didn't really – he never played in the National Hockey League, and yet he won multiple Stanley Cups as a coach. So, uh, you know, it's always – I think people can come at – a sport or any topic from a lot of different angles and, and be able to contribute. Yeah. And covering the NHL to me has always been a pleasure in the sense that compared to other professional sports, um, especially in Europe, I'd say, when you cover uh, football or, or mm. soccer, as you have in America, it's, it's very hard to really get close to the, to the players. But here it's really... Um, it's it's really easy in a sense to get close to the teams and the players and really follow this league and I really enjoy doing that. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly how it is uh, in Europe and in Scandinavia. I know uh, we've both covered the Olympics and yeah. I know that that's a different how about those type mixed zones. Mix zone that's is a hell on earth. Yeah, yeah, in our it's a little bit of a different animal <laughs> for me. But you're right. I think covering. Uh, I've covered all the pro sports here in the United States, but I've mostly covered hockey. And, uh, yes, I mean, if you're a beat reporter, or even mm. if you just come in, Magnus, like you come into town and you, 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 you're here for several days or a couple of weeks, you have time to uh, get these guys away from the rink and uh, get to know them a little bit in a different way and have discussions about whether you're looking to talk about their personal issues or the business at hand of hockey, mm. I think you are able to have that interaction. Again, I don't know how it is yeah. overseas, but I know here it's uh, you do have that opportunity. I mean, it's so great. I remember one time I came into a little bit of an argument with somebody uh, with the Swedish hockey team. It's changed a little bit over the years, but at this particular time, Sweden was going to play like France in the beginning mm. of a world championship, and I decided that we're not going to give any interviews the day, you know, the day of the game. Yes. And I'm like, okay, so you mean... I can't talk to a fourth liner in Team Sweden, but I can travel to Pittsburgh and talk to Sidney Crosby after a practice without a problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the nature of it sometimes, but the, yep. you know how it is. The rules are different everywhere and for everybody, and that's the way it goes. But the reason it is like this in America is a tradition, of course, that media would never you know, accept to have a situation like in Europe in different leagues. I mean, there is just supposed to be accessible. To I, think it's, I think it's evolved over yeah. the years, Magnus. I think that's really what it just comes down to is that uh, – Reporters always covered these sports teams, and the teams wanted the publicity want the to publicity. sell yeah, tickets. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's different now because 
the way the world is now yeah. is different. But I think it's really just evolved from that early stages of covering professional sports, probably in the United States in the 19, early 1900s. So I think that's just what it is, and uh, it's accepted practice. And uh, in hockey, I know the players uh, are very... I think for the most part they're they're very good about uh, giving their time. They don't always give you the most interesting answers. <laughs> that is true because that is true. Uh, the you know that is the way the world is. It's very coached now. They're very politically correct. Things of that nature come into play. But you know that's up to us now to find uh, creative ways to make uh, to to get those answers that we're looking for and to find the person or the personality kind of behind the person. Yeah. What's with the word obviously? Why is everybody, players and coaches, saying the word obviously so many times? That's a good question. I probably say it all the time myself, obviously. If we do it here. <laughs> if we do it in podcast, if I do it, it If I do it, it's obvious to everyone listening. <laughs> yeah, it is. So I'll try to limit myself. But, yeah. It's really, I guess it's, it's a way to make a point yeah. in English yeah, sometimes. I think, so too, I think yeah. it's a way to, to make a point of saying something that you think is... Obvious. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember I, this was in the uh, Olympics in Vancouver, and and at that mixed zone that we yeah. dislike so much, yeah. Miko Koivu was there, mm-hmm. and uh, he, and I've heard him one time before, and I'm like, okay, now I'm gonna take, you know, I'm gonna take down the number. I'm really gonna count yeah. how many times he says it, and it was like in five minutes, he said it like eleven times or something. Like yeah, that, so. you get you get <laughs> a lot of your knows as sometimes. Yeah, yeah, in the mix too, <laughs> and those are just crutches that I think people use when they're being interviewed or speaking. True. And it just yeah. depends how things go in your life and, and what you end up doing. And yeah. some people, though, are not used to speaking publicly. And I fall into that trap once in a while myself, and you try to avoid it. Yeah, we're going to try to do that now. Yes, we will. Okay, let's talk about the Swedish players in the National okay. Hockey League. Okay, they're the all terrible. They're all terrible. <laughs> you listening out there, Swedish fans, your players are terrible. No, I'm only kidding. Some of the best players in this league are Swedish. True, and there's never been more of them here, actually. I mean, this season, it's uh, I think it's something like 120 or 125 Swedish players that mm-hmm. dream about playing in the NHL. Many of them do. Uh, I think it's up to 60, 65, something right now, that's played games in the NHL this season. Okay. And there's a whole bunch of them in the AHL with the Real yeah. Make. Uh, and it's the biggest group of players from countries outside of Canada and United States now, because okay. many of the Russians are in the KHL and so forth. Uh, is there any way that you see that the Swedes, in, in uh, you know, as a group, maybe even have changed the NHL? I mean, when you look at drafts nowadays, it's you know many young Swedish guys. Well, I think from a skill level, yeah. I think there's no question the skill level has been terrific, and that pres- puts pressure on people and players all over the globe to be better in that way. I think the the Swedes uh, produce a lot of highly skilled players. When you think about the guys that come here, I mean, Nicholas Lidstrom comes to mind right away. Yeah. And some of those guys that have played in Detroit. Most recently, uh, you know, Henrik Zetterberg, I was very fortunate last year at the Winter Classic, Magnus, I got to stand right against the glass. And there's 100,000 people there and it's <laughs> freezing cold. But I got to stand there for a few minutes before they chased me away. And I got to watch Henrik Zetterberg really close. And he's got that beard. And I got to kind of look into his eyes and watch him as he's playing. And it's really amazing. He's such a competitor, but he's so smart. And he's things are happening fast. The best players are the guys that compute everything that's going on. I, I always look at a hockey game as kind of a fast-moving chessboard where things are happening quickly. And the guys who are the great players are able to, to compute everything and to... It's natural. It's automatic. And watching Zetterberg that day, it really struck me again. And to go back to your word, 
it's an obvious statement <laughs> to say that Henrik Zetterberg is a great player. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I needed to say it again because mm-hmm. I saw it from a little bit of a different standpoint, and it reminded me of what a great competitor and what a great player he is. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I watched him again most recently the other night against Pittsburgh. Detroit was playing Pittsburgh, and he had been unhappy with some of his performances earlier in the season, and he came back and played really, really well, most really well lately. And uh, he's just a, he's a force. So he's one of those guys to me, skilled, but he's a competitor. I think, you know, the funny thing about the Swedish hockey player to me over the years is the stereotype in uh, the United States and Canada forever was that the Swedish hockey player was a skilled guy, but he wasn't was afraid. Yeah. And, I mean, that is such a joke mm-hmm. because, you know, you see, I think Peter Forsberg was probably the first guy to really break that stereotype mm-hmm. down, even though there had been many Swedish players that had come before him, like a Boris Salming. I don't think mm-hmm. he was scared of anyone <laughs> no. or, or anything. And, and there were many, but I think Peter Forsberg was the guy that, to the masses, mm-hmm. kind of broke that down. And uh, there are so many of the Swedish players now that come and they just play hard, they compete and they're great players. And then there's others that, you know, there are no perfect players in sports and, and in hockey. And there's others that it's a struggle for, but, uh, but you know, and then they, and they're good players in one area, but not another, but that's a large number of players in the league that are here because they're good at this, but maybe not as good at that. And then it's up to the player to try to develop and get better. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to me, it feels a little bit like the old days when, when team Sweden had really two superstars. We had Sundin and Peter Forsberg for a long time, and there were lots of talks and comparisons between these two guys. Now we got Henrik Zetterberg and Niklas Backstrom. Mm. Uh, or do you agree there is Backstrom on a Zetterberg level yet? Or, or I think I think that uh, I think Henrik Henrik Zetterberg because he's won a Stanley Cup and he's been involved with a really good organization and they went to a couple Stanley Cup final. Mm-hmm. I think that that puts him on a little bit of a different level. He's an older player too. Mm-hmm. I think Nicholas Backstrom is a wonderful playmaker and a terrific player. I think in the National Hockey League, uh, because of the team there, they have underachieved, I guess is the best way to say mm-hmm. it. They have not, uh, when you think of having Alex Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom, mm-hmm. and they had Mike Green when he was healthier and playing better, mm-hmm. this was a team that people thought were going to get to a conference final or a Stanley Cup final, and they haven't reached either. Why so, is that? Well, it amazes me. Yeah, I mean, I, well, something, something's just been missing there. Uh, it's yeah. hard to put your finger on it. I mean, with Bruce Boudreau, you got to remember, you go back to when Bruce was hired, I think it was 07. Yeah, I think uh, that was actually Nicholas's first season. Yeah, yeah, it was 07, and like the team was really struggling. Yeah. And uh, it really, at that time, he took over, Bruce took over for uh, Glenn Hanlon, yeah. and really... George McPhee at that moment was probably months away from losing his job yeah, because the, the team GM had really the struggled, time. the yeah, GM at the yeah, time. Yeah. And Bruce came in and uh, kind of it turned things around with those young guys, many of whom he had had in Hershey, which was the American League yeah. affiliate of the Capitals. And they were an exciting team to watch, and they played kind of a fast and loose yeah. game and uh, really a high-scoring, high-energy yeah. game. And they got to a certain level with that, and it seemed like they could never – kicked down the door. They got yeah. into that series with the Pittsburgh Penguins, I guess, in 2009, wow. and they had a series lead there, two games to none. Uh, they forced a, seven game, a seventh game back in their building, mm-hmm. and they ended up getting blown out. And, uh, you know, that was kind of as close as they came to getting to the conference final. And they just, it just seems since then, they've been looking for those pieces. And I always feel like that for hockey teams, it's easy to stand up and 
and get to the podium on draft day and say, with the first overall selection or the second mm. overall selection, and pick good players. Yeah. I think when you have a good team, though, like the Capitals have been a good team, and you're trying to find those pieces that are going to put you over the hump and are going to get you to the conference final, to the final, and to be a winner, that is where you really earn your money as a manager, as mm-hmm. an organization. It's not easy. The St. Louis Blues have had a similar problem. Yeah, They've true, been a good yeah, team now yeah. for a couple of years and haven't been able to get find the right mix to get to the level of the Los Angeles Kings or the mm-hmm. Chicago Blackhawks. And I think that's real, really what's happened to Washington over the last several years is they just were not able to find the right pieces mm-hmm. in place around the Alex Ovechkins and Nicholas Backstroms to, to get where they wanted to go. And I think they're still looking because yeah. they went out and they changed the general manager in the offseason. George McPhee is now let go. They brought in uh, Brian also. McClellan. They mm-hmm. also brought in Barry Trotz. has been like after Bruce left, they, had, they went with Dale Hunter, which was a much more defensive uh-huh. approach, and that had some success. But again... Not quite. Adam Oates tried a little bit of a hybrid. That didn't work. So now they have a Barry Trotz who brings kind of a more structured uh, fit there or a more structured look to Washington. Uh, I think with Alex Ovechkin and Nick Backstrom, yes, they need help around them, but they probably have to do some of the little things that it takes in games. I notice Alex gets a lot of criticism, particularly out of Canada. Um, there's some truth to that too. I mean, I, both those, both to, both those guys, and maybe Ovechkin in particular, yeah. needs to step up more. In well, they, I guess if you want to win, there are things you need to do to win, mm-hmm. and there are some sacrifices you have to make to your game. And I think uh, you know that a lot has been mentioned about Alex's the other night came with the last couple of games really pushing on the back check, mm-hmm. and when someone like that does that, it's noticed on the bench, mm-hmm. and it gets the other guys going in the right direction. I think Alex has been one of these guys. I think Alex desperately wants to win. He's got a lot of talent, but uh, I don't know if he knows exactly how no, to win, no. and it's not something that's always easy to, to kind of figure out. And also, you know, quite frankly, Alex Ovechkin, as big a story is, he's a winger. He's not a center. Nick no. Backstrom is a, is a centerman, and he can have, and the, to, for me, Teams are simply broken down by the, you know, the best teams that win. They always have that number one center, that number mm-hmm. one defenseman, and then great or good goaltending, depending yeah, upon right. how the teams are. I don't think you really build successful teams in the National Hockey League by being strong on the wing. No, I think no, those are uh, no. complementary pieces. Yeah. And so I think it falls a little bit more on, on Backstrom in that regard. And I think it falls on the, the organization. They haven't been able to find a really good second center no. to take some of the pressure off. Now they've got some young kids coming in there. But, uh, you know, that's kind of my look at the Washington yeah, Capitals. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's just been something missing, and certainly one of those holes is second center. Yeah. And hopefully they're, they're, they're good experiences for both guys. I mean, Nicholas Beckstrom, the way he stepped in to Team Sweden in, in the Sochi Olympics. I mean, Hendrik Sedin missed... The Olympics because yeah. of injury, yeah. one of the centers, and then you had Sederberg. Yeah, they had so many yeah, injuries. Yeah. It was and really then, unfortunate. Yeah. It was the way really Backstrom un- played, especially that semifinal against Finland, was great. And then unfortunately, the whole thing. Well, that was a joke. The I mean, that was a joke. What happened with yeah. the with yeah. the IIHF or, yeah, or the IOC? Terrible. I mean, yeah. that was just not right. And uh, but the way he played that tournament and the way he stepped up as a leader was good to see. And then Ovechkin in the World Championships, which of course is not a tournament that you pay too much attention to over here. It's not the best of the best, but they won. And the way he played there, and he worked hard, and him. Yeah, he's won some of these tournaments. I mean, he's won in the World Junior level. He's been unsuccessful and uh, the World Championships, but uh, the Olympics, where there was a lot of pressure on Russia and Sochi. I mean, mean, him in the Olympics, that was like, he had one great ship. That was the first when he scored a goal. After that? After that, it's it's, it's a struggle for, I think there's a lot of politics that goes into things with Team Russia. There's a lot of politics that go in with all the different teams when you think about it, but... uh, 
that was going to be a lot of pressure on the Russians. We'll see what happens with Alex. I, I do think, uh, you know, he really desperately wants to win a Stanley Cup, and it's a matter of him still learning to yeah, find yeah. ways to get it done, and I think it's a matter of... Uh, of the team helping them and getting uh, those assets that you need to have around a championship team. Yeah, but if you would be a GM in the NHL and somebody told you, okay, you can pick either Zetterberg or Backstrom, you'd go for Zetterberg still, or uh, <laughs> right now I still go Zetterberg. I still go Zetterberg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, how about the Olympics, by the way? Now, when, when we mention the word the Olympics, everybody's wondering. A lot of hockey fans is wondering, will the NHL go to South Korea in four years? Mm-hmm. Probably not, right? I don't know. I don't think it's high on their list, but uh, I don't want to rule anything out. We're, mm. we're several years away. Um, it's not, as they say, a hockey hotbed no, to be not, over there. Not really. It's not like a lot of South Korean NHL players are going to promote the Olympics at their home court. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so we'll see. I mean, I don't like to rule anything out. I think we're going to have a World Cup of Hockey in September of, That's how it looks. of 2016. Yeah. That's what it looks like out of Toronto. Um, but as for the Olympics, that's always a guessing game. Yeah. Because, I mean, at, even even though that I felt that maybe Sochi Olympic was not what I expected it to be, and, uh, I mean, the whole ending was so terrible in so many ways because we didn't really get a, a real final. But, I mean, the Vancouver Olympics was some of the best hockey I've ever seen. I mean, the excitement. Oh, it was terrific. It was, just, it was absolutely terrific. Yeah. It was absolutely terrific. I think the, the Olympics... Uh, They've been great hockey in all of them, really. I mean, yeah. you have the best on best plan. Uh, um, so but yeah. the best with the Olympics, TJ Yoshi. Scoring those that was an in, that was an interesting day. I mean, I here, was close to Putin in the yeah. stands. He was like <laughs> sitting a, a few rows behind me, and he was like Probably standing up. Yeah, the yeah, guy. he was good. He was yeah. glad for a while. Yeah. He was up there sharing when the Russians scored a goal, and yeah. then T.J. Oshie was like a big nightmare for Putin. Yeah, so he has to he has to hide. He was hiding after uh-huh. a while. It was great to see what what a performance, what a game. Yeah, was. that was terrific. <laughs> and here in the states, that got a lot of. Uh, created a lot of buzz. Yeah, everybody yeah. was excited about yeah. it, and uh, I mean, even Barack and, Obama talked talking for a while. Yeah, well, that's not very long. No, but, no, uh, but he still he did. Uh, yeah, but he's a basketball it, guy. Yeah, it yeah. was uh, it was something special. For, I mean, I, I think you know it's funny. Uh, people always talk about hockey and development of hockey in the United States. Mm. It is. Um, yeah, you're American. Yeah, yeah. It is. It, it is. Uh, it's something when you have Team USA and there's the Olympics or that big stage. It's everybody. It's the home team. Yeah. All of a sudden, in yeah. the United States, you know, there's you know, there's a lot of different parts of the United States and people from different regions and the different teams here. The twenty was it twenty. Uh, 23 teams, 22 teams. I lose track now of the teams yeah. in the United States. We lost one. But the bottom line is that uh, when it's Team USA, everybody's on the same page. Yeah, and the thing is also, which maybe some people back home in Sweden doesn't know, but, but um, I mean, if you want to promote the game of hockey in the United mm-hmm. States uh, and you compare it to have a Team USA in a World Cup of hockey played in Canada or a Team USA in the Olympics, yeah. there's not even a comparison. The Olympics get so much more attention than any other event. Oh, no question. Event. No uh, question about it. No so, question about it. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Okay, we're going to talk about some more Swedish guys. Okay, um, okay. Um, how about the Sedins? Is there a chance to win Stanley Cup? Gone. Did they have their one shot in the final against the Bruins, or do you think that... I mean, it's not that they don't get younger. No, they don't, and uh, I think the window is probably closed yeah. uh, for them, unless the organization can add some pe- some pieces. 
quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, things change. I don't think when I look at the Vancouver Canucks, they don't have a real wealth of young players in their organization. I think it's still a very good team. But if you ask me what if the odds, where the odds are now as opposed to four years ago, I mean, it's dramatically changed. I mean, Ryan mm-hmm. Kessler has left. So uh, that was a, a quality player that was in a second-line role for that group. So it's different now, and I think it'll be a challenge. Okay, we'll continue here, and we're going to talk more about some of the Swedish guys, and I don't want you to be too polite. Either. Okay, I'll, I'll try not to be. <laughs> I'm going to start off a little bit with uh, um, what was a big surprise for many people, in even in Sweden, and especially over here, I think, is when Per Mortz um, nominated the players for the Olympics in Sochi, and he had Talinder, Henrik Talinder and Alexander Edler on the blue line. He had Oliver Ekmalarsson in the team but benched him, so he wasn't yes. playing in the end. Yeah. And back in North America was Jonas Brodin and Victor Hedman. I guess if you would have been the Swedish coach, you would not have picked uh, Edler and Talinder for the Swedish Olympic team. Right? Not over those guys. <laughs> not over Certainly not over Oliver Ekmalarsson, who I just think the world of. And uh, and Victor Hedman has been getting better and better and better. So I mean, he I mean, those are two guys right away. Yeah, I would yeah. think. And Brodin's got a great future too, right? Yeah, oh yeah. yeah, he's a younger, a little bit younger, yeah. I guess, but not much. I mean, those guys are all pretty young players. But yeah. you're absolutely right. Jonas Brodin is a terrific player, and so much so the Minnesota Wild gave him just recently gave him a, like a five year nice extension yeah. because they they know what they have there. So. Yeah, I mean, I was, that's surprising. Again, that goes to the politics of these international tournaments. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I guess in that case, maybe wanting a veteran player yeah. or someone the coach feels comfortable with. I know that Oliver ekman Larson talked about the fact that uh, it wasn't a surprise to him because the coach had had him at world junior level and didn't play him then. <laughs> so uh, he wasn't uh, all that surprised. And a lot of times, coaches play who they want to play. True, And true. Uh, they have a comfort level with these guys. So, um, for and me... And also picking a guy like Talinder, I think also it was, a, it was in a knowledge of, okay, this is guy is probably going to be in the press box, meaning yeah. he wasn't going to play that much mm-hmm. and he was going to be fine about it. Yeah. Uh, compared to, like, uh, another uh, one of the young guys who would have been, you know, if yeah. he would have been positioned in the press box. I think I'm always picking... I, I think I'm always picking the best guys. That's I mean, because at the Olympics, best, yeah. if a guy gets hurt for some reason or you need to play him, you need to... You need to be able to pull out the best yeah. player you can find, and just because you think that he's not going to be accepting of that role... That is a bad excuse, in a sense. It's a bad... Yeah, yeah make <laughs> a right. phone call. True. I mean, we have a lot of technology. Yeah. Just look at what we're doing here today. True, true. Make true, a phone true. call and explain yourself. Yeah. And I think most guys would be... Maybe they wouldn't be happy, and you know what? Maybe they would say, no, you know, I don't want to be in that role. Well, at least you asked, mm-hmm. and at least you know. Mm-hmm. But most guys, I believe, would, because the Olympics is pretty important to most guys... Just to get a chance they to would. Out, I mean, you, know. you saw it with Team Canada. There were some guys that are real good players that ended up not really being a big part of things. P.K. Subban amongst them. and uh, But they were really happy just to be on the team. Yeah, One guy who wasn't included either, which I understand more, and I think you do too, but who really stepped up in a Stanley Cup playoffs was, of course, Anton Strollman with the New York Rangers. Mm-hmm. My opinion is, even though you have the big you know, salary cap and all that, giving up Strollman the way he was playing was a big mistake. He's one of the underrated Swedish guys in the league, I think. Yeah, I think he's a guy, Magnus said, has just gotten better. Yeah. And and I think that there are... What happens, I think, are players come into the league, they make an impression on coaches, scouts, other players, and then it's hard to change that impression over True. time. Yeah. And I think Anton Stroman was a guy that, uh, you know, he kind of bounced around a little bit in the mm-hmm. league, found a place with the New York Rangers, 
and uh, working with John Tortorella first and then with Elaine Vigneault second, I think that uh, he found a real comfort level. He was paired oftentimes with Mark Stahl. I think that was a real nice uh, pair of defensemen. So I think he improved, and I think mm-hmm. it was up to the rest of everybody else to kind of catch up mm-hmm. and watch him play. And um, so, yeah, I think he's a, a real valuable player. I think you're, they're seeing in Tampa that he could be a real valuable player for the for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And the New York Rangers were, you know, they were in a situation where a salary cap, uh, you know, they had to make some decisions. I think they were willing to give him significant money, but not to the level of what they were willing to do in Tampa or what they could do in Tampa. And you got to remember also here in the United States, in Florida, each of the states, uh, there's different laws. And in New York, if you live here, you pay a pretty substantial state income tax to go along with a federal income tax and the other taxes that we pay. Florida does not have a state income tax, mm-hmm. and the cost of living is less there. So when Florida sells a package to a player like an Anton Stroman, they can perhaps come in at a lower dollar level with the idea that hey, you can live here for a lot cheaper. The yeah, money you get here is going a lot lo- is going a lot further, and you're be able to buy a home is a lot cheaper. So I just think for the Rangers to match what Flor- what Tampa was offering Strowman would have been much more. It would have been more dollars than just looks on the on the mm-hmm. uh, you know it looks on, as we look at it. I understand. So yeah. that's that's the kind of the way I feel there, and I think they had to make a decision, and and they moved on from there. But they will miss him as a player, though. Yeah, they'll miss him. There's mm-hmm. no question about it. They went out. They were fortunate. They were able to get Dan Boyle, who's an older player, mm-hmm. who's not really uh, at the level that he once was earlier in his career, but he's he's been part of winning. He's been part of good teams, and he could slide into that spot as a right shot defenseman, second pair guy when he's healthy because he's been out of the lineup since the beginning of the season when he broke his hand, but he can be somewhat of a fit there. So these are the things that happen in a salary cap world. You have to make decisions. And Hey, you know, there's another Swede on the Ranger roster that makes a lot of money, and it's the goalie. So so that plays into it as well. I mean, the guys that make big money, uh, that that impacts what everybody else gets. Talk about uh, different environment when it comes to how much money you have to pay for stuff. I saw that you could... um, There was uh, parking spaces for sale in New York City for a million dollars. <laughs> a million dollars for would, parking. I spot. wouldn't be surprised, Magnus. I pay a lot of money to park in New York. But not over, a million bucks. Not a million, million bucks. Dollar. No, I draw the line. I draw the line somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I draw the line at an area that I don't have the money to pay. <laughs> yeah, and that is that is a million dollars is way out of my league. Yeah, but how about the Swedes that you really want to see step up or even uh, consider for the moment to be overrated guys that really should perform on a higher level than they have done so far. Well, give me some names, and I'll tell you what I think. Because uh, you have a few in mind, obviously. Yeah, I have a few in mind that, that are, that are, that's been a lot of talk about. And, okay. uh, some guys that have surprised me a whole lot. And mm-hmm. Begin with Adam Larson with the New York City. Disappointing. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that might just be a case of expectations being more than what the player is. Um, you know, uh, one scout talked to me, like, you know, after the fact, and we're talking about the player and comp- looking to compare him to somebody. And uh, they said, you know, he reminds me a lot of Sammy Salo. Mm-hmm. He'll play in the league a long time. He's kind of a big guy. He's not overly physical. He's kind of boxy, not like super quick, but like a good player who will play mm-hmm. for a long time. Mm-hmm. But and with he, boxy, you mean like he's he's not like quick. No, you no, know what I mean. No, he's yeah, a big no, guy, no. and like he's he's not quick. He's just no. you know, and like like I said, I think the comparison to Sammy Salo yeah, was real interesting mean, uh, because they're similar body types, big. Big men, right yeah. shot. Uh, I don't think Adam shoots the puck as well as Sammy does. But Sammy played in the league a long time. Now he had a lot of injury issues in his career that have been a, that have been an issue for him. But I think Adam, you get drafted fourth overall. The expectation is through the roof. 
And then when the player himself, to, through no fault of his own, Adam Larson is who he is. I just think mm. he was overrated as a junior. He was a big guy. Yeah. And other guys catch up. For example, Jonas Brodin was the same draft class. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you look at that now and you say the New Jersey Devils found the wrong Swedish defenseman. They should have because Brodin would have been the guy and uh, he'd be a long-term guy with the other young defensemen they have there. That's another problem for Adam Larson in New Jersey is they have Damon Severson who, or Damon Severson who's really stepped wow. up this year as a rookie. John uh, John. Merrill, uh, Eric Jelena, they have some young defensemen there. If they were to put Larson in the lineup, that's four young defensemen, and then they got to move a veteran out of the lineup. So for me, I think what's going to have to happen down the road, unless Adam really takes his game to another level in New Jersey, is he's going to have to get traded somewhere where they'll give him an opportunity to, to kind of begin his career and have a chance to play on a nightly basis and grow. But right now, I, I, I think when you think about Adam Larson, it's simple to me. He was overrated as a junior. He was drafted fourth overall. He probably shouldn't have gone that high. And now he has to live with that expectation because everyone who sees Adam Larson here in North America is looking at it. He was a fourth overall draft pick. And those guys don't always all turn out. I think Adam will play, but I think if he's going to have a chance to play somewhere consistently and learn, he's going to probably have to go somewhere else. Yeah, that's probably what's going to happen. But he kind of underlines a a big issue for me that I talked a whole lot about and written a whole lot about in Sweden. I don't know how big it is over here. I'm going to talk to you about it now also. It's the fact that, to me, some of the young Swedish talented players and some of the young Europeans overall, they come over here too early. Yeah. And the rules were different in the past where, where you drafted somebody, you had to sign them and bring them over within two years. Now it's four years since the last deal, which is a good thing, I think. Because the result in many ways is actually that the guys are not even ready to move to yeah. a different country. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and then the whole thing about starting all over again, making a new impression and you know fit in in a new you know country, a new world and, and a new team. And that's extremely, it's it's extremely so, yeah. difficult. It is, it I is. know for, I think of myself as a... As a 20-year-old, if I had to go over to Stockholm yeah. and start there, I mean, I heard you speaking Swedish so eloquently before, I didn't know a word of what you were saying. <laughs> and so I can imagine it's just the same mm-hmm. when the kids come yeah. here. Now, the Swedish kids, fortunately, from what I understand, are very well educated. Mm-hmm. And so they oftentimes have an understanding, a, a, some understanding of English, some mm-hmm. very well, others not so much. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, It's a very difficult transition from my standpoint, and I would agree with you. I think oftentimes kids come over too soon, and I think in the case of an Adam Larson, the thing that worked against him is probably he's physically mature. He's big yeah. enough. Yeah, he's if so he was a smaller guy, yeah. there less. There would have been less of a desire to have him running over here so quickly. But because people looked at him, and he's a fourth overall pick again, mm-hmm. he's a big kid, yeah. People are expecting him to jump right into the National Hockey League lineup. And uh, that's just not easy to do even for the best of prospects. So I think that worked against him as well. He just was such a a big kid and physically mature, there was more pressure on him to come and be able to play in the National Hockey League. And I agree with you. In most cases, the guys are better off taking that extra time and uh, maturing and developing, mm-hmm. you know, in this case, you know, in your home country, playing in the Swedish Elite yeah, League. be where, better prepared. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. Uh, my feeling is that some teams, NHL teams, they understand this, and they go a little slower and really take care of the, their talents a little better. Some teams, it's like they don't really understand. It's well, like, there's, I don't know if they, well, they understand or not, I think there's a pressure to win. Uh, and a pressure to, really win, to win to be successful. Yeah. And it's like anything else. If the New Jersey Devils drafted Adam Larson 
and they were the New Jersey Devils of 2003 with Scott Stevens and Ken Danico and Brian Rafalski and Scott Niedermeyer. Do you think there would be a pressure for Adam Larson to show up here? Not really. No, that would be a totally different not. situation. But yeah, he was yeah. drafted by the New Jersey Devils at a time when uh, their group of defensemen wasn't nearly as good or as deep, so there was more pressure and. You see that happen with a lot of these teams that have been kind of bottom feeders in the NHL for a long time. You know, a Florida Panthers team, they rush mm-hmm. guys over rush here guys, often, yeah. you know, just and it's because not only they don't, Europeans, it's yeah, Canadians and Americans. Yeah, well, exactly. They yeah. do not have that uh, base of talent, mm-hmm. you know, within their group. It's there's no comp, no real hard competition to make the team at no. a training camp. No. So those guys all of a sudden, hey, you know, he really might not right. be. He might be the fifth best defenseman we have in our group, mm-hmm. in our whole. Which tells more about the team. That which tells you more with. about exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, a couple of other names that uh, to me, I expect more of them. Uh, Patrick Berglund, St. Louis Blues. He's been kind of a, a disappointment for me from the standpoint that I saw him as he is kind of a. Um, he's a. Uh, I don't know if I'm looking what the right word is. But he's a guy, when I watch him play, he could be a difference maker. I always felt like he could be the difference maker for the St. Louis Blues. I saw him as a big centerman that could have been, could have been the guy that takes the St. Louis Blues, helps them get to that next level. And he's never really been that guy. And that doesn't that doesn't mean anything necessarily bad about him. No. It just means that, you know, I had a higher expectation no. of him as a viewer. And, uh, you know, maybe the St. Louis Blues have had a higher expectation level for him as well. And maybe he needs to be a guy that's more of a complimentary player to a team or mm-hmm. sometimes play on the wing, which I see that they've done with him sometimes yeah, in St. Yeah, Louis as yeah. well. And so, you know, it might have been, again, my expectation level might have been higher for than what the player is yeah. as a player. And so... I've kind of recalculated where I I don't look at him as the uh, as that key guy in the group. If he plays well, they're playing well. I see him more as a complimentary player with a very good group. The St. Louis Blues are kind of an ensemble cast to me. They don't have uh, necessarily huge stars, but they have a lot of really good players, and they're well coached. Um, so for me, I've lowered the bar yeah, for for Patrick Berglund, yeah. and uh, so and I think and St. Louis has added Paul Stastny now this yeah, year, so that yeah. changes the dynamic. But I thought. I expected more from him. Yeah, me too. And me it too. didn't happen. No. no. So, and I it's remember, tough. I mean, it, the competition is extremely hard. Exactly. I remember him coming in as a young kid. I mean, he reminded me a bit of Matt Sundin, and that's mm-hmm. putting a lot of, of pressure course. on well, him. Of course. Again, yeah. you know, again, a yeah. big physically, yeah. Yeah. in stature, large, yeah. you're thinking a big centerman, could be yeah. a difference maker. Yeah. So we see all these guys come and go, Magnus, and sometimes are we have a different, uh, you know, we overestimate. Yeah, that's true. And that's yeah. what happens. And now yeah. it doesn't change who the player is. Yeah. And so I think in St. Louis, I think they've dialed it back as well. And he could still be a very helpful player on a good team. But I think when you're asking too much of him, I don't think that he's going to be able to deliver. I know in the Olympics when when uh, Backstrom could not play and they had the other injuries, he had he got elevated in the lineup. And I think that was another case where he was swimming in the too in, the, in too much of the deep end. How about Mika Zibaniad in Ottawa? That's interesting guy because uh, terrific junior. And a uh, really talented kid. You expected him, like all these kids when they come on the scene. Some of them have impact right away, mm-hmm. and some of them takes a lo- take a little longer. I'm really uh, of the mind that I want to see more from him yeah. at this point. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not ready to, to close He was the- definitely one of the guys that came here too early, I think. Yeah, so I he's got a lot of potential. I would tend yeah. to agree with that, too, because yeah. that was a very young Ottawa Senators team that, that 
were actually they had a good year two years ago based on the goaltending was terrific. Mm-hmm. They really mm-hmm. weren't very good in their own end. The goaltending was was way above a, way above average, and that's why they played well last year. The goaltending came down a notch, mm-hmm. and so did they. Yeah. And now this year they're trying to get back at it. I I think you're right. I think he's probably one of those guys that probably came too soon. Uh, but I do think that there's a lot of potential still for for him. I want to see more. Yeah. One guy I hate to put into this, but I can't help. Put him myself. in. Let's go. Put him in. <laughs> yeah, and that that's also because he didn't wait too long to go. Or he was really ready to go. In my opinion, he had the best playoffs of any Swedish player of all time, even better than Forsberg and all those guys when he won the Swedish championship with the team uh, Brynäs. His name mm. is Jacob Silverberg. He's got great potential. But I mean. I don't know. Hasn't happened quite no. yet. Uh, he's had some injury issues, though. Yeah, I mean, that he's been yeah. held back by injuries. Yeah. Uh, and, he, and he also, you, tra- you change uh, the organization. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we just talked about it before, right? Coming to a new country, new culture, new environment, new language, a lot going on. Now you're in Ottawa, Canada's capital. And the next thing you know, you're in Southern California, in, in Orange County, where it's a whole different world. Yeah. So and they, and they have a pretty darn good team there in yeah. Anaheim with some real good players. So I think he's one of those guys... I got to see more. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, I think he will find his level in this league as time goes on. But to your point, you know, he might mm-hmm. maybe maybe it was too soon for him. I, uh, it's hard to say, but I think there have been other things, changing organization, injury issues that have been a factor for him. But I, I think I mean, hopefully things are going to go well for him because he's got great potential. He's got a super shot, and mm-hmm. I think Bruce Boudreau, the coach, likes him a whole lot. Yeah. So hopefully he's going to get. Well, and you know what? They've got a good. They've got a good core group of high end players there. Yeah. So he can really fit in alongside those guys in a complementary role, which is terrific because yeah. now the, the the pressure on him is just to be a good player, not yeah. to be a leader, which yeah. I think is nice. It's helpful. Now we're going to talk about one player that kind of symbolizes what a strange and, and weird word this can be sometimes. <laughs> That's David Rundblad. Yes. He was, he was actually, he was, uh, I'm, I'm looking in the nice big NHL yearbook uh, yes. that we found in the studio here, just to make sure that I don't miss any team here. But he was <laughs> a first-round draft choice, 17th overall uh, for the St. Louis Blues. He never played for the Blues. No. Before he even played for the Blues, he was traded to Ottawa. And then he was in Ottawa for 24 games. And then he was traded to Phoenix. And he was there for a little while. And then he was traded to Chicago. And, and I mean, that's St. Louis, Ottawa, Phoenix, Chicago. That's four teams for a guy that's born 1990. Yeah. What the heck happened there? Well, I think uh, that was a guy that was talking to scouts. They just tell me right out. They don't think he skates well enough. No. So that's the buzz I hear from the scouts. And I, you know, I think that resume would back that up because teams here in the National Hockey League are always looking for defensemen mm-hmm. that can help them. And he's gone through a couple of organizations. I think they've all discovered that. And it's a good it's a good question. You know, I don't know. It just things don't happen quickly enough, whether it's quickness, the first step, or whether it's just a simple speed thing, or maybe it's uh, maybe that the transfer from the, the brain to the feet or to the hands. The bottom line is when I've talked to scouts, they just feel like he doesn't skate well enough. And he's been in organizations where he could have been a player. Oh, yeah. I mean, when oh, you yeah. think about those teams, I mean, in Arizona for sure, mm-hmm. you know, they would have loved to have, uh, they wish he would have been a player for them. Sure, yeah. And it hasn't worked out. I believe he came over in that Kyle Turris trade, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but so. at the end of the day, that's what I've heard, Magnus, is that the skating mm-hmm. is an issue for him. And he might be just one of these guys that ends up going back and being a very successful player in the Swedish Elite League or mm-hmm. playing in the minors. But I don't know at this point, based on where he is, that... Uh, 
it's going to happen for him because he, now he's bounced through a couple of organizations and he is going to have to, he's going to have to be one of those guys that's going to have to work on his own behind the scenes and get somebody to believe in him and give him an opportunity and that's not always easy. No, no, it doesn't feel like Chicago might be the right. Chicago's just looking for really depth players uh, at this point behind yeah. the really high end defensemen they have. They're yeah. another team that was in well, salary cap. Good too. Yeah. yeah, salary cap hell, hell, and yeah. uh, they had to trade Nick Letty out of there. They didn't yeah. want to, so. Uh, it's a, that's the situation they're in. I don't see Chicago as a place that uh, is going to be one that's gonna, where he's going to find his way. One more team. I wonder if he collects jerseys. Yeah, well, a bunch already. well, hey, listen, that's not so bad either. You can no, go sell them. You can sign them. I mean, you can do a lot with those. True, true. You mentioned a couple of favorite Swedes of all time for yeah. you. I mean, uh, as we all like to see Peter Forsberg play, oh, obviously, yeah. and Nicholas Lidstrom. And then, was there any, historically, uh, I mean, if you look back in time, any guy that you kind of expected to do more than he did. Hmm. That's interesting. I don't I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't know if there's been a guy. I think most of the time I it's a, a guy that does more than I thought he was going to do. Yeah. You know, like a, like a Thomas Holmstrom comes over and plays for the Red Wings and he found his way, right? And he found his niche and he played on championship teams and he was an important part of winning for the Detroit Red Wings. Mm-hmm. Um I find more often than not that's what happens. I don't normally... I mean, Adam Larson could be a case in point of a guy that there was high expectations yeah, of, yeah. and that was expectations by others, Magnus, mm-hmm. not by me, because I did not see him play enough. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that I wouldn't have been overwhelmed, again, by seeing a 17-year-old kid who's that big and and, can, and looks like he can be a factor. Um, but more, more often than not, I think the Swedish guys that come to the National Hockey League... They overachieve more than underachieve for me, mm. but that's just my that's just my two cents on it. <laughs> well, that's good. That's yeah. good. I mean, uh, to me, it's also sometimes uh, with goalies. I would say that yeah. sometimes there are goalies that uh, I think can be, um, you know, good players that we've heard about, and they don't they don't develop. But on the on the flip side. You know, we have a guy like Henrik Lundqvist, yeah. who was a late draft pick, and he played very, very well, obviously, in the Swedish Elite League during his time there, yeah. and came over and just uh, has been nothing but a winner since he got here. Yeah. But there's, I guess maybe it's just so many goalies that do get drafted, and some yeah. make it and some don't, and maybe that's part and parcel of that. But, but uh, this is interesting. I was actually going to take that up with you, and I'm going to show you the list here, and I'm going to say it real quick to you who listens to okay. this. I mean, the thing is, Henrik Lundqvist is, is, a, is, I mean, he's a world-class superstar, yeah. and of course, the number one goalie yep. in, with the Rangers. But the rest of the Swedish guys. We go from Robin Lehner, Jonas Gustafsson. It's not impressive. No, and I mean, none of them are a sure first, uh, you know, number one goalie within their team. No, I I agree. I look at the list there. Jonas Gustafsson is a great example of a guy that I thought thought we were going to see more of. There was so much talk. The monster, he's Mm -hmm. coming from Sweden. There was all those free agents. uh, He was a free agent. Teams were looking Mm -hmm. to sign him. And now he's a backup goaltender in Detroit. And and even at that, you know, he has his hits and misses. And, uh, you know, there's a guy there, Anders Lindback. I just saw him play for the uh, Dallas Stars the other night. To be quite honest with you, I don't think he should be in the league. I don't think he's good enough. But that was a terrible game. That was a terrible game. Everyone scored seven goals. I scored seven goals on him, but you know, seven hole, two seven hole goals, two goal, one goal to to the other side. I mean, I've seen and I've seen Anders Lindback play over now with with the Tampa Bay Lightning, Uh. and. Again, he's probably a wonderful fella. Yeah. I mean, I have nothing against him personally, but I just think at this level, like I think he's the Dallas good, Stars, yeah. when I look at it, right, Carl Lettinen is their starter. Yeah. They're trying to be better. They went out and made some big acquisitions in the last two years. They're going to be able to score. Their defense probably isn't good enough. They're going to lean on their goalie a lot. Carl Lettinen is a guy who's known to get hurt. This backup goalie for the Dallas Stars is a really important position, and I'm sorry, you got to do better than Anders Lindback because he is going to have to play. And he may have to play a lot, 
and I don't think he's good enough. And that's just my opinion. So is that where Martin Bordeaux is going to end up before the playoffs? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't no. know. I don't know where Marty. I don't know if Marty Bordeaux is going to end up anywhere. No, I think. Uh, but uh, the, the backup goaltender for the Dallas Stars, I think, like I said, for many reasons. And mm-hmm. there's teams like this. I think, like uh, you know, the Colorado Avalanche. It's an important position because you know Semyon Varlamov. Uh, you need to you know they rely on their goaltender. And Varlamov has been relatively healthy, but he's had some injury issues as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, those teams that rely on their goalie a lot, you better have somebody in that second spot that can come in, and if they have to play 20 games in a row, which is a possibility, mm-hmm. you bet they better be able to play. And, uh, again, from what I've seen from Anders Lindback, I'm just not impressed. No. You haven't seen Jacob Markstrom enough, I think, do you? No. no, no. But, I, mean, that, that's, I mean, he was, I mean, he's got all the tools. He's, yeah. he's got the, the talent almost like Henrik Lundqvist, but there's something missing some way. Clearly uh, there uh, is because he had every he had a lot of opportunities oh, to yeah. get the to get the crease and get the net in Florida. He never could do it. No. And now that wasn't a great franchise. But they had they had had like a couple years ago they made the playoffs and they were a little bit of a better team. He hasn't been able to grab the net and hold it there. He went to Vancouver, um, and right away uh, they were looking to sign someone else. They ended up signing Ryan Miller. So uh, he has not. And the guys, let's face it, the scouts are watching these guys play in the American Hockey League. So they're not seeing it there either. So there's something that has not happened yet for for Markstrom, and uh, it may or may not happen down the road, but right now it's not happening. One of the best goalie coaches in Sweden, he said that he thinks that what Jacobs needs is some mental coaching, some Mm -hmm. guy who really helps him. Well, that's a big. You know, yeah. when you think about goaltending, Magnus, oh, how important yeah. is how important yeah. is the mental game? Yeah. I remember going back into like the late '90s, and at that time in the National Hockey League, believe it or not, teams didn't have a goalie coach. No. And I, like in, here in the United States, we have obviously we have baseball, and we have a specialty position in baseball, which is pitcher. Right? Yeah. So everybody has a pitching coach, right? Yeah. It was a natural thing. You had a pitching yeah. coach, and I thought it was amazing that in the National Hockey yeah. League, at the highest level of hockey, teams didn't have. A goaltending coach. Now that's changed over the last 15 years, and teams have them now. But I think that's important to have not only one, have somebody at the pro level, have somebody at the minor level, and have somebody that really can relate to these guys because because the mental game is so important when it comes to Mm -hmm. goaltending now. So uh, maybe that'll be the case for Markstrom, but uh, to this point, he hasn't been able to break through. But I think there is one more guy who is a number one uh, NHL goal. That's Jonas Enrod. His problem is that the team he's on. Plays on a terrible team. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And he's also, you know, he kind of a a little bit against the mold of the NHL goaltender now, which is a bigger guy. He's not as big as some of the other guys, but he's been a really, he's been very helpful for the Sabres. He's in a bad spot. They don't play very well in front of him. The puck is in his end a lot. Uh, if any of your listeners have remember seeing the old hockey movie Slapshot, uh, the goalie coming in and kind of, you know, just uh, throwing a stick and was like all punch drunk from so many shots. That's kind of what Jonas Enros' life is like these days in Buffalo. But uh, hard to judge him because you get on a better team. Is he what I what I call a bad team goalie? And by that. Is he a guy that's just going to be the hero when there's a lot of shots against and play well? There's no pressure. There was 45 shots. He made 42 mm. saves. Yeah. He may have let in two bad goals, mm. but it doesn't matter because we're going to lose anyway. Yeah. Now you put him on a good team when there's 23 shots against and there's only two or three good scoring chances. Is he, is he a guy that can play that, that mental game? Yeah. 
and be the guy that can stay in the game and be ready when those opportunities come that he can make those saves. We don't know that about him yet. No, no not on the NHL level. I not on the NHL know, level, no, for no. sure. Now you made a good yeah. thing coming into the World Championships, winning with Team Sweden here a yeah. couple of years back with, with the Sedins. And to me, he really proved that he could play the big games. But yeah. that was one tournament over yeah. like two weeks. So it's different for a It will be interesting season. to see because he's going to have an opportunity to be the goaltender there. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. But Buffalo, that team, gee. Um, a, a team that I think is going to get a little bit of a problem this season, maybe, that feels like they maybe uh, overreached a bit last year, um, is Colorado. Mm-hmm. And they had a rough start also. Yep. Um, it was a big thing when they named Gabriel Landeskog their team captain, the youngest ever yep. in the NHL. How about him? Do you think that was a good choice for the Colorado Avalanche? And what do you look at him as a as a as a player? He well, was, he was not really there in the playoffs last season, even though he was injured. But he was on the ice, so you're it's, judged it's, by being on the ice. It's interesting, I guess, in his case because they have so many good young players with him. You know, they have uh, Matt Duchesne. They have now uh, Nathan McKinnon. McKinnon, yeah. And so they have some really high-end talent there up front. Now, they know their group better than I do, and they felt that as a young man he was someone that uh, could fill that role, and he's a big-bodied guy, and he plays hard. He's a wonderful guy. We've had him be a guest on our show many times and just a terrific person. He's off to a little bit of a slow start. Uh, But I, you know, whether or not he should have been the captain – you have to defer with those people there. They knew what they they know what they see in him in that role. It's hard, I think, for any young guy yeah, to be yeah. a captain. I think that's a tough spot to be in. It's tough just to carry yourself. That, at that age. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But uh, he is a pretty mature kid, mm-hmm. and so I'm not worried about him from that standpoint. But I am worried about their team because, again, really out of balance, mm-hmm. terrific group of young forwards. And they've added some veteran forwards as well. But the defense is a, a real weak spot for mm-hmm. me. And then it that lends itself to playing a lot in your own end, relying heavily on your goaltender. Semyon Varlamov last year could have easily won the Hart Trophy as league yeah. MVP. He Way, was that good. And I don't play, say yeah. that about goalies. The only other guy that I said should have had that honor was Dominic Hoshik back when he was in Buffalo. But... Uh, he could have easily earned that award. He was that good. Now, can he be that good again this year? Well, it hasn't started well, and he had an injury. And so if their goaltending isn't going to be on that very, very high end, they're going to have more struggles this year. And uh, there's a young team. Sometimes you take a step forward, you got to take a step back. Um, but I agree with you. I think it's going to be a struggle for them unless they can figure out a way to get that defense better. At some point, they may have to think about trading one of the high-end forwards for a high-end defender, and most times teams don't like to make that deal because they don't want to give away defensemen. So um, it'll be interesting times, I think, in Colorado with some very, you know, with a volatile guy running the team in yeah. Patrick Waugh. He's also a guy that He's has a lot of... He's got a bit of temper, right? He has a little... Well, <laughs> yeah, but he has influence over a lot of things in that organization, yeah, yeah. and you know, he'll be tested because... When you're a coach, there's one mindset to be a coach. You win today. You worry about today. When you're a manager or you're scouting or you're doing other things, you yeah, have I to think, think about a bigger yeah. picture. And he's yeah. shown an ability to do that at the junior level. But he has a lot of influence with this uh, team at the National Hockey League level, and it's a different animal. Yeah, it sure is. One of the happiest players in the league, I think, uh, is Patrick Hornquist. Even mm-hmm. though he liked it in Nashville, he's all of a sudden uh, a line mate with Sidney Crosby, and who wouldn't be yeah. happy in that case? Uh, how about Hornquist? Well, I mean, <laughs> what do you think he's going to be able to do playing alongside the best player? In the well, league? he's already done pretty well. He's already had a oh, handful right. of goals in the first uh, you know, eight, nine, ten games, so things are going well. 
uh, for him at the start. He's a guy that's not afraid to to go to the crease and go to the net. That he was able to uh, forge. Uh, I think it was a thirty goal season for the Nashville Predators a couple of years ago by doing that. Um, I think you know you, chemistry is so hard mm-hmm. to to kind of uh, to really get a feel for. But it seems like uh, so far so good. And I think that's a team that's a high scoring team. Their power play is good. He can help them there as well. Uh, I think, yeah, I think he's going to be, you know, when you look at it on paper, there's no reason to think that he won't be a good fit for that team. No. And Crosby is the number one player in the world? Or is it Taves? Who's your favorite? Now you're a GM again. Who do you pick? I'm, uh, you, know, you, know, you know I didn't answer that right away, <laughs> right? So that tells you I'm thinking about it more. I, I've tough. been thinking about it more lately, and, and Sydney is, is a wonderful player. And, uh, you know, he's had some injury issues over the last couple of years. Um, seems to be last year healthy, led the league in scoring by a wide margin, won a lot of awards in the playoffs. He ended up injured, didn't produce a lot. They they lost in the second round to the Rangers. But there are times when I watch him that I wonder, would I rather, as great as he is, would I rather have someone else? Would I rather have Jonathan Taze? Would I rather have a healthy Henrik Zetterberg? Would I rather have another guy? And when you start to wonder these things, you know, there's a reason you wonder there's them. It's not just out of nowhere. So it's not like back in the 80s when you said, well, Wayne Gretzky's the best player. Well, he was. Yeah. You know, he really was. And when Mario Lemieux was in his prime, you knew what he was delivering. Yeah. Crosby delivers a lot in this day and age. It's a much tougher game to play mm-hmm. in now than it was. It's harder to put up points than it was, and he does them. And when you think about the list, top five all-time in the National Hockey League points per game, it's Gretzky, it's Lemieux, it's Bossy, it's Orr, and in the middle of that group is Sidney Crosby. Mm-hmm. So from a standpoint of the numbers, there's nothing that should tell me that, to answer your question, he's the best player in the league. But for some reason, when things, when the going gets tough, Jonathan Taves finds a way to win. Yeah, oh yeah. And now he maybe has a better supporting cast, but he just finds a way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't nec- I don't know if I've seen that from Sydney yet. So that's what makes me hesitate. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Are you surprised by uh, that? Not really, because you know, especially picking between Taves and Crosby. Is hard. Yeah, it's I mean, very tough. And like I said, a, a healthy Zetterberg to me yeah, is a guy yeah. that really can lead and is so smart and is such a competitor. And there's others. I mean, a John Tavares is pushing forward oh, yeah, in that yeah. in that group. Yeah. You know, in, in Anaheim you have Getzlaff and Perry. They yeah. kind of almost you know they're only as a one-two punch now. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of great players in the league right now. When you look at those top teams, I mean, what in LA they've got a bunch of them. And one guy that has to me risen in my eyes over the last couple of years is Jeff Carter, because when he came into the league, Jeff Carter to me was a complimentary sniper off the wing. Now in Los Angeles, Jeff Carter is an elite two-way center, making other guys better. And that's a credit to him, a credit to the guys around him there in L.A. that he works with, and a credit to Daryl Sutter, because this guy has taken, for me, he's taken his game to another level, and he's been pretty special so far. I'd say since he's been in L.A., he's been pretty damn good. Oh, yeah. And that team is pretty special, too. I mean, mean, I'd say it was even an honor to be in the building in L.A. this uh, summer when when they captured the Cup. Uh, I mean, the most fascinating thing to me, um, talking about the LA Kings, was it, it didn't really matter if they had their third defensive pairing or their fourth line out on the ice. You really couldn't tell the difference sometimes. It was a machine. Yeah, well, you know what? They have, uh, when you look at a roster of players, they really have all the things that you need to win a Stanley Cup. Because, first of all, they're very fortunate. When you think about it, to me, winning 
in hockey, is the spine of your team is your centers, your defense, and your goaltender. The wingers are complementary pieces to me. There are great ones, but mm-hmm. they're still complementary pieces if you don't have those other things. They have Andre Kopitar, Jeff Carter, Jared Stoll, and Mike Richards through the middle of their centers. Uh, uh, I mean, that's unparalleled to have four guys in that order. That that's like four first like. Well, centers. I mean, put it this way. At on least some three. teams, on some teams, Definitely. Yeah, yeah, you know, and so, but in that order, Kopitar, who is just a yeah. big monster of a, a hard player, plays a 200-foot game. And then you have Carter, who has this terrific skill, and he eats up ice in the neutral zone with that big stride. And now he's playing the 200-foot game, and he's backboard to backboard, and he's found great chemistry with Toffoli and Pearson there. And those two kids who came in the way they did and the way they really, you know, fit like they, you know, it's, two pieces but of give, the puzzle. But you got to give a great credit to Jeff Carter oh, because, yeah. oh, you know, yeah. he's the veteran yeah. guy that's worked with them. Then you have Jared Stoll is a perfect three, yeah. kills penalties, blocks shots, wins faceoffs, And then Mike Richards, you can move them around your lineup and you have them as your four and so that takes care of your group of forwards right then you go on the defense and you have drew dowdy who's like to me probably the best defenseman in the game right now he just has a natural feel for it as a puck mover in a league mm-hmm. where you need to have puck movers um he's unique and special and then behind him you have other guys i mean now he's out uh, slava voinov yeah, with yeah. the with the problems that he's having yeah. but uh, i mean he's a legit second pair right shot puck moving defenseman yeah. and you know they'll need him to get back at some point hopefully his legal troubles will be settled yeah. because it's important for that team but but because the spine of the group is so strong other players that are complementary pieces like a Tofoli and a Pearson yeah. right they're playing great you put yeah. them somewhere else Yeah, they'd be different players. Different, and then, of course, they have Jonathan Quick and Goal, who, you know, on a night-to-night basis, he's you know, when he's healthy, he's right there, one, two, three in the league as far as the goaltending goes. So this team is very fortunate. All the pieces are in place, and the window is wide open still. Because when you think of all those guys, Magnus, how many of them are over 30? I know. I, I mean, very few. I, I mean, I, I know back in the day people kind of, didn't like when teams won Stanley Cup a few in a row there with the Dynasties with the Islanders yeah. and the Oilers and Detroit a little bit and, and New Jersey Devils even though there were some years in between but is this a dynasty kind of team the Kings do you think I mean could they win again yes. my feeling is that they're going to win yes they, ab- gonna beat they, them they absolutely could I think it's really really hard now I think injuries will play a part of it matchups uh, play a part of it uh, I thought they got over a big hump last year because the Chicago Blackhawks were not a great match for them uh, and had beaten them uh, in the playoffs the year before and they'd also beaten them pretty well when they played on a regular basis in the regular season And last year they were able to overcome that, and then they were able to fight them off because the Hawks came on strong, winning games uh, five and six exactly, to force yeah. game seven, and then have to go into Chicago and win. It's a team that has uh, a lot of character in Los Angeles. They know how to win. They're beautifully slotted. They have their spine of their team, as I mentioned, is terrific, and they're really well coached. I think Daryl Sutter doesn't get near enough um, near enough credit. I think that uh, you know if the LA Kings are a sports car, you know of a team. Mm-hmm. He's the right driver. He knows how to drive. He knows what, when to put the ca- the pedal uh, down and when to hit the brake. Oh, I love that quote also. He was interviewed um, uh, talking about all different team bondings that, I mean, in, in, in preseason. Mm-hmm. Teams meet, you know, they go to West Point and they do all yeah. sorts of different things. And somebody asked Derek Sullivan about their team bonding. He goes, well, we do our team bonding in the playoffs. There you go. There you go. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Uh, we could do this for a long time. It's been great yes, having you on. Yes, we can. We're going to do a few quick ones in the okay. end here. Uh, all right. 
right. Uh, um, uh, how about Henrik Lundqvist? I mean, he was in the Olympic finals and he lost that, and he was in the Stanley Cup finals and he lost that. And of course, we, you know, from Sweden, we love to look at him as the best goalie in the world. Uh, you're back being a GM here, and okay. you pick a goalie. Do you pick Lundqvist or do you pick somebody else? Um, I probably go. I'd probably Quicken Lundqvist are my guys. I think uh, you know, from an injury standpoint, I'd be. I think I'd be happier with Hank. Because Jonathan Quick plays that explosive game, and that's my worry about him long term is that he's going to have injury issues. But uh, I got to see Henrik Lundqvist up close pretty much since he came yeah. into the league. Uh, I'd take my chances with him. <laughs> but how about the Rangers? I mean, will they be back in the finals during Henrik Lundqvist's time there? Uh, you know what? Maybe because chance? you know what the good thing about the Rangers? Well, they're in the Eastern Conference, so mm. it's more wide open. It's not as it's not as much of a bear as the West. They have two pieces of the, when I talk about that spine of a team, and you look at the teams that win, it'll back me up. I mean, L.A., Chicago, Detroit, mm-hmm. when they were in Pittsburgh. The teams that win all have that spine yeah. in place. The Rangers have two of those three pieces. Exactly. They have Lundqvist and they have McDonough. Yeah, they have the goalie and the defense. They but don't they have, the have the center right no. now, now they're, and they're playing early in the season without Derek Stepan. Um, could they get by with an ensemble group up front? Perhaps. They almost did last year. Yeah. They got really close. Rick Nash, by the way. Trouble scoring in the playoffs last mm-hmm. year. Lights out this year. Yeah. First three weeks of the season, MVP. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. I mean, terrific. So, can they get back? They're in an easier conference. they got a great goalie. They have the experience. The coach, when you think about Elaine Vigneault, he's been to two Stanley Cup finals with two different teams. That's yeah. impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's what it takes. So, yeah, they could get back, but it will not be easy. It never is. No, that's true. How about the fighting in the league? This is a big issue over here and back home in Sweden. Some people really like it to be a part of the game. And it seems to me that it's kind of on its way out. Personally, I'm not a big fan of it. I mean, if two guys are really upset at each other and drop the gloves, that's one thing. But yeah. the stage fighting, I can't Yeah, I never was big on that. No. And I always felt like if two, if uh, a fight was born out of competition, yeah, I didn't have a problem with it. No. I think, though, I would rather see at some point in time fighting be a thing where if you fight, you're just ejected, like yeah. in any other sport. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean that I'm saying you can't fight. I'm just saying, like, if we're playing and we're in the corner and we're battling and we want to go, let's drop the gloves and go. And when it ends, we're out of the game. Yeah. And I can live with that, yeah. Yeah. you know. And I think that, uh, you know, it wouldn't – obviously, you'd see a lot less fighting because yeah. guys don't want to get and thrown out of games. Game, yeah. But I just think, I mean, it's a sport, and I think in sports there are certain things that could be tolerated. I mean, I watch the NFL here in the United States – and those big 350-pound guys are beating each other up in the uh, in the trenches on every play. Yeah. And, uh, and never start fighting. You know, I mean, they have a fight once in a while, yeah, but, but, when, they, but when they do, they're ejected. I just feel that's kind of the way it should be for hockey. And yeah. I'm not, again, if I was playing and I saw something that I thought I needed to handle myself, yeah. I would handle it, and then yeah. I would skate to the locker room, and then that would be yeah. that. But yeah. So you still have to handle it. But it feels like it's kind of on its way out. It is on its way out, yeah, because the game is faster now, and there's less room for, on your roster, for that, that, exactly. You need to have guys who can, fourth-line players who can be energy players, who can can skate and keep up and hit, and it's very rare that you can have a guy that can do those things and still be a really good fighter, and it can be a helpful player. And also, when players are getting so much bigger, too, it kind of puts in an element of danger that maybe not was there... Totally before. I mean, well, people well, can with, really get hurt. Well, with all the things we know about concussions now, yeah, exactly, right, yeah. and, and head injuries, yeah. that's the difference. Yeah. We didn't have that knowledge at one time. It was anecdotal. Yeah. We didn't know. Now yeah. we know. We have yeah. scientific evidence. So for me, that's another reason why um, it's probably best to, like I say, if you guys want to fight, 
go ahead and fight. It's a battle out Dude, there some uh, nights, yeah, but exactly, you, yeah. you're rejected from the game. Get ready for him. Yeah, yeah. Sitting there, sitting out the rest of the game. Okay, finally, uh, some people that listen to this are probably planning to sometime come over, or if they have done it already, uh, we're gonna finalize this by going, you know, kind of give them a, an idea where to go. Okay. Uh, if you want to get the best hockey experience ever, and I'm mm-hmm. gonna tell them who I, what I think is the best place to go, and also the most underrated place, mm-hmm. and then it's your turn. So this okay. is how we're gonna finish it. Okay. Uh, it's always great to go to Madison Square Garden, obviously, especially when it's t- tight and close games. I said obviously. Was that the first? That was that. Well, you said obviously. Yes, it was uh, obvious to me that you said obviously. That was bad. That's okay. My favorite. We'll place, let you go. It's only yeah, once. Thank you. And my favorite place to go and watch hockey is Montreal. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think I'm on board with you. Yeah. I mean, it, the, just the passion for the game in Montreal, the show they put on there. Uh, especially when the Montreal Canadiens are good, and they're pretty good now. They got to the Eastern Conference Final last year. Um, I agree with you. I just think it's a it's a special place for hockey, and it's a shame if you didn't get over, if you're not old enough to have gotten there when the old Montreal Forum yeah, was, was still yeah, in gear. I got I was fortunate enough to have been in there. I was fortunate enough to skate in the Montreal Forum wow. one time, once or twice, and it was it's it's special. Yeah. And uh, but, but like, was still, I was also at the Forum, and I, I thought, and when they built the new arena, I'm like, they can never. You know, capture the feeling of forum, but I think but they have. They've, they've, exactly. they've, they've yeah. done a really nice job there in yeah. uh, capturing the passion, really, of what yeah. it means to be a Montreal Canadian and a Montreal Canadian fan. So I'm with you on that. New York is a great place to visit in yeah. general, just because there's so many things to do here in New York. So and come and Madison Square Garden, the building at Madison Square Garden, they've done so many uh, renovations to it over the last couple of years. You wouldn't even recognize it now, but uh, it's terrific. I enjoy. I enjoy uh, being there and having the good fortune to be in there for games, uh, and then uh, there's just different spots. I have the underrated one now here. Yeah. I, it's going to be interesting to see what you say because uh, okay. I mean I've been around. I've, I've, I've actually counted not too long ago. I've been I've, been, I've seen 27 out of the 30 teams okay. at home. You've been to all arenas, right? I've been to all of them, but not for all of them for games. Like okay. Columbus, I was there for the draft, but I haven't been there for a game. Okay, okay, maybe soon. Yeah, maybe soon. But my my uh, favorite, uh, I mean, underrated place is actually a sold out NASA Coliseum. All right. Well, I can understand that. Well, listen, I grew up going to games there, Magnus, because I, I, I was born... I was born on the Rangers side of the line. Okay. But uh, in Westchester County, New York, you can look that up on uh, on the Google. But... Uh, but I grew up as a as an Islander fan just because I sent money to the Rangers for a uh, media guide when I was very little. Yeah. When I was like eight, I didn't know any better. You put money in the mail. Yeah. Well, no internet not, those not days. surprisingly, no internet. Not surprisingly, I didn't get anything back. <laughs> And so I, I kind of hold a grudge about yeah. these things. And I rooted for the Islanders, and they were very good. So I spent a lot of time at Nassau Coliseum. And it was, uh, you know, that was kind of a special time and place yeah. in terms of that team, which was one of the great teams in the history of the yeah. game. Uh, I would tell you this, though. You know a place of the newer buildings that I like going? I think it's a fun, it's a different environment, but it's fun, is Nashville. Yeah. yeah I think I it's a cool that, city, place, and if yeah. you love music, obviously, it's a great place to be. Uh, you but said obviously no. That's right, I did, yeah. I did. That's 1-1. One, one. I yeah. know what? I probably said it more than once. No, just I, th- probably... I think it was only one. All thing, right, yeah. well... But I agree with Nashville. That's a great place to visit. Yeah, it's yeah. a fun place, a fun city, and when, the, again, the building gets crowded in there now. The team is pretty off to a good start this year. they got some great players. You see Pekka Rene and, and Shea Weber and, and some of the uh, young Seth Jones. So they got some good players, but uh, and they have uh, a young Swede named Philip Forsberg yeah. who's playing really well. Oh yeah, and really I liked does. him as a junior player, and I'm glad to see what a stupid trade that was the Washington Capitals. Oh, one of the worst God. trades in yeah. the history because that could end up being really bad. Yeah, 
really bad. Because yeah. Philip Forsberg is a player, and he's going to play for a long time. I don't know. That was one of those trades that was made as a uh, way to try to save a job. Yeah. George Martin McPhee was at, went to Washington. Yeah, went to Washington, and they were desperate nothing. to move ahead uh, in the playoffs, oh God, and it just yeah. didn't work out. But to trade away an asset like Philip Forsberg, I guess that's uh, Washington's loss is Nashville's gain. Uh, true, true. Okay, AJ, we're going to finish up here, and hopefully people back home is going to like this. Uh, it's a little different doing it in English, but I hope you enjoyed it. Well, it's not really English. It's just <laughs> whatever. It's, if you can understand me, which is not easy. <laughs> yeah. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. Du har lyssnat på en podcast från Expressen. Ansvarig utgivare är Thomas Mattsson. Fler poddar hittar du på expressen.se-podcast och på iTunes.